Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It may have been the Canadian vaping industry's last hope. It's expected within the next four to six weeks that Health Canada could pull the trigger on its disastrous flavor ban for nicotine vaping products, which many believe could only be stopped by a change in national government. That change, of course, did not happen with the re-election of Justin Trudeau and the federal Liberals. Joining us today to discuss the impact of the 2021 federal election on the battle to save vaping is Daryl Tempest, Executive Director of the Canadian Vaping Association. Daryl, thanks for coming back on the show. Brent, thank you for having me, and I'd like to thank you for the show and uh, to your viewers and all of your sponsors. The content is important, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today. And thanks for that. So, first off, does the return to power of Justin Trudeau and the federal Liberals help or hurt the effort to save vaping in Canada? I think the election was a, was an interesting one in the fact that we've returned to Parliament exactly as we've left it. Um, if you look at, I don't think our uh, fight is any harder or any easier than when it uh, when the election uh, took place. Um, and I think a lot of Canadians would feel like that for a lot of issues. So the campaigns that we're running before are equally as important as the campaigns that we're going to run now. Uh, that being said, um, if you look at what happens after you come back from a minority, uh, as opposed to when you're going into an election, it weakens the PMO and the prime minister slightly because the prime minister doesn't have that ability to uh, threaten to call a snap election as a negotiation tool with the other parties, which gives the, uh, the, the opposition parties and the smaller parties a lot more influence and power in policymaking and decision-making. So overall, keeping that in mind, are the results of this election disappointing? I think the, the results of the, this election were chosen by Canadians. Um, and I think we all have to respect that and get back to, uh, to our work, um, which is educating MPs. Uh, as you know, Brent, uh, I was an extremely uh, busy lobbyist with the three months leading up to the election. And what struck me with all the MP meetings that I had was the amount of MPs that didn't know a flavor ban was coming didn't even know there was regulation or legislation around vaping and had no engagement at a, at a parliamentary level. So there's just, there's no knowledge. That's astonishing considering how much media coverage and hysteria has been around the so-called teen vaping epidemic in E-Valley and so forth. Yeah, I think you'll see a lot of that came from, uh, from media and health groups. Uh, that we're trying to make an issue. I think a lot more politicians that I've met at the provincial level were far more engaged than they were at a federal level. Um, there's a saying, and I think your uh, your American viewers would understand and, and remember this politician, his name is Tip O'Neill. He said, all politics are local, which means that the job that we came uh, to do prior to the election, which was to truly educate uh, federal MPs, uh, is more critical now than it ever was, considering the timelines that uh, that we're looking at. Uh, the best example I can give is uh, out east. Uh, even though the Liberals uh, came into uh, uh, power through a minority, uh, they lost the cabinet minister because uh, they had an issue in uh, in fisheries, uh, which and they were from a coastal uh, riding, and because uh, the local residents were there. Uh, the Liberals lost a very senior and powerful cabinet minister. So engaging at those local levels is more important now than it ever has been. 
when it comes to politics, is there much that can get done to try to hold off this flavor ban? Oh, certainly. Um, uh, during um, uh, the meetings prior, uh, uh, there was multiple MPs that said that they'd be willing to write a, a letter of support uh, for their community. So the key themes that were coming through the MPs is they said, so you're telling me we're going to have less jobs and more smokers in our communities. So once you bring it down local, um, it means a lot more to the MPs there. And they're able to write the Minister of Health. Uh, currently, it's Patty Haydu, but we'll see what happens after cabinet is formed shortly. Um, if Patty's still the health minister, or if there's a different health minister, um, and making sure that they um, educate and share their concerns from the local community. So the more uh, that shop owners and manufacturers can engage with their MPs, it lessens the burden and it really uh, highlights uh, on Health Canada when it comes to, like, for example, all of uh, uh, the design, the poor design of Gazette One and all the glaring errors. So it gives us that opportunity to bring it down to either a caucus uh, committee review or, as you know, the TVPA is due for a full review um, uh, at the end of April of 2022. So our contention when we're talking to MPs is no more regulatory change is required until that full review and that impact as it relates to the TVPA is, uh, is completed, Brent. So this was a snap election uh, called by the prime minister. It cost $600 million to run it. Could it be a $600 million cabinet shuffle? Uh, no, I think uh, I think the prime minister would have been fine in terms of shuffling cabinet uh, prior. Uh, I think what this was was uh, really about the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, I think the uh, old friend of mine, political friend of mine, uh, Scott Reid, always says that if um, either you pull the election when you think you have the advantage or the opposition will pull it for you from you when they think that they have an advantage in a minority government. So what you saw here was uh, the, the prime minister and the Liberal Party of Canada feeling that they wanted to seek a, a mandate and had an opportunity to speak directly to uh, Canadians. As you can see from all the other uh, leaders of the other major parties, it was their determination that this election was completely unnecessary. Now, you mentioned the pandemic. Often uh, that's been glossed over when it comes to vaping, but I certainly think that there's a connection here because if the government and the Liberals, now that they're returned to power, the ones that have taken a pretty strong approach when it comes to coronavirus, if they are so willing to take those measures, why wouldn't they just ban vaping? Like for one, it just gets it off their plate. Two, they clearly um, have the power and maybe the gumption to do it. Well, I don't think the way that the uh, legislation and regulation is designed that the government has to make it their problem. They can leave it in Health Canada because there is no parliamentary review required. It's uh, I, get, I go back to all uh, politics is local. It's our job to make sure that the parliamentarians take responsibility for the changes, um, that they take responsibility for the impacts this is going to have on jobs and on public health. Um, uh, there's a there's a really important shift that's happening, but you got to remember they uh, that's one of the key elements of why legal is so important is it does two things. One, it holds them accountable, but it also brings forward uh, really core arguments and makes you review the truth. As we know, uh, and I'm not making blanket 
statements about all politicians, uh, but some politicians just talk. They say things that they're not uh, educated on or have an understanding. Um, a judge doesn't work that way. But ultimately, at a bureaucratic level, they have to make this bulletproof so that it doesn't go into a constitutional challenge in upper superior court, whether that be Ontario or if you bring it through a BC, those tend to be the two provinces that you would usually target on these types of uh, types of challenges because of the judicial and the judges in each of those uh, jurisdictions. The judge doesn't care about your opinion. The judge cares about uh, expert opinions. Uh, in this case, it'd be clinicians, researchers, professors. Those are the opinions that matter. And uh, if you look at even under the Freedom of Information Act, I looked at, uh, I got a response from Health Canada in terms of the research that they did on age gating. And I'm telling you, they would have a challenge bringing that in front of a judge in terms of the type of research that they did, even compared to the type of research we did. And we're a small organization of three people. We're not the federal government. Now, uh, with the flavor ban um, and the process, now, for, I'd like to really get a kind of the handle on this. Was this a standard consultation process or was this kind of the ancillary thing leading up pretty much like the last moments before Health Canada would implement these, this ban with Gazette 2? It didn't feel like a traditional consultation process. Yeah, that wouldn't be my take on it, Brent. Um, what I would think is uh, if we look at the Gazette process, and this is what people should not only be concerned about, but extremely motivated by, is through the Gazette processes, what changes have we seen in Gazette 2 that we haven't seen proposed in Gazette 1? I think that's the, that's the fear from Health Canada. Um, that's why I'm engaging at an MP level. Uh, that's why I'm engaging with, uh, with the House and Parliament. Um, How because, do you mean? Just uh, let me just let me ask, Daryl. Do you mean that there's often not a lot of change between Gazette Two and Gazette One, and that's what the worry is? Uh, very much so. Um, it's uh, and I'm, I'm extremely, you know, I'm beyond concerned, right? To be honest, when it comes to uh, to that, it's why we've uh, uh, why we're uh, spending so much time on legal. That's why you get it, Doug Elliott. Uh, in Cambridge uh, constitutionally. It's why you get a Kelly Lamrock, who's um, co-counsel in New Brunswick, the former attorney general there, uh, to make sure that you fight for uh, the rights of not only business owners, but the hundreds of thousands of consumers out there, like myself and my wife. So there's, you know, Health Canada, it was very interesting in their Gazette process. They said that smoking costs, I believe it was $2,600 per smoker per year, over the age of 27. How many millions of Canadians is that? So you're talking about 7,000 jobs. You're talking about uh, uh, billions of dollars, right? Um, and it's just glossed over under this guise of youth. Meanwhile, it was StatsCan data, their own uh, agency within the federal government that said youth experimentation is going down. And I'll double down on this on the hypocrisy, Brent. And we're going after this as well. Youth experimentation is highest when it comes to alcohol. Second is cannabis. There's all kinds of flavored alcohol, all kinds of marketing. You got flavored gummies. No one's going after any of that. You can find all kinds of crazy packaging. And the I can make the argument that our alcohol is no benefit to society. Cannabis through recreational has very little 
benefit to society as opposed to medical cannabis, which is um, 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 a, a very different market. And then you have uh, vaping. And when pressed by uh, MPs about, uh, well, do you want kids to see this product? I'm like, my kids can go on, and I hope this isn't too much for your viewers, but my kids can go on to uh, pornography sites right now, and I don't hear anything about age gating, stopping, anything else. And there's a video uh, that's happening uh, that went on um, on Facebook. I forget the gentleman's name off the top of my head, and I'll get back to you on that if your viewers like it. He was in BC, I believe, in your neck of the woods ordered some products, all flavored products, all 50 milligram from China, came to him, no age gating, no ID, Canada Post dropped it off. He kept it sealed, showed the uh, shipping label, and then uh, did the, uh, showed where it came from uh, on, uh, on Canada Post's website, opened it up, took out the products and vaped. No one asked a single question. So under this, you know, over-regulatory uh, regime, when it comes to the domestic uh, market, um, I have principals telling me that they're still suspending kids out in Nova Scotia because they're getting it, uh, getting vaping products, and they're getting them from all over the states, and then selling them at a profit in their schools. So it's time to call out the hypocrisy of this, and if it has to be in court, uh, so be it. But I think we have a political solution here, but we have to engage. And if MPs aren't going to return their calls, we got to go to their doors. I mean, my team will help uh, any store owner or manufacturer follow up and follow up and follow up and send data and email and information, but we got to keep it local. It can't be, you know, um, uh, a, a lobbyist that's going to talk to 330 MPs across the country that's not how the system works so i think that um i take the the election as a reset for our strategy that we were deploying uh coming into the election and now ramp it up so you know you use the statement last stand well if this is our last stand why wouldn't it be being extremely active and being extremely engaged um and, and going after mps because the amount of swing ridings I think a lot of MPs were really scared in this election because they thought they were in very safe seats. And uh, how many liberal cabinet ministers went down? Three. We find there's a liberal uh, MP in Alberta in the first time that I can remember. And you know, I'm from Alberta, Brent. Um, so that one, um, uh, that one surprised me, uh, even though he's a very elegant speaker, to be frank, I, I, I can see why I was an attractive candidate. Um, but it's now's the time. And I always say like, what's nice about an election is the walls are down as opposed to when they're in government, the walls are high. They're way harder to get a hold of. I think this election will give us one thing is I think now the walls will be at medium. So as long as we can uh, make salient arguments, be respectful, but be assertive. Uh, I think that that's the best opportunity we have um, to stop this madness, to be frank, and to be able to look at this in a way that says, this is harming public health. This is harming small businesses. And Brent, you know that I did the, uh, all those press releases through the, uh, through the election. 
uh, it was some of our highest media engagement since we really took comms to a different level in 2000 and late 2018. And, but the biggest impact one was, was jobs. It was, uh, it was small business. That's what got picked up by most of the papers. So we have to remember that we fit into community and society because we've been trying to make this public health argument for how many years? Um, but the, uh, the, the, the legal pathway will help us drive home the public health. Locally, it's about the MPs and it's about your business. It's about your consumers. And that's what the not only fight for, but it's the one thing they're afraid of because what were they looking for in this election? Votes and support. Let me ask you about the jobs and overall, just in terms of the process, I've been having a real hard time articulating this in a question properly over the last couple of months because it's very strange. It just seems to me that Health Canada as a regulator owes some responsibility to the industry that it regulates. And considering it's a new industry and one that was brought into the fold under the promises of getting some stability, they're receiving none of it. And in fact, they're not even been given any time to make some of the changes that were asked, you know, just in the last year with regards to nicotine concentrations and other things. And to just have the regulator completely pull the plug on a multi, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars a year industry with all these thousands of jobs, it seems to me that there should be some protection from the regulator uh, taking action like that. I would, I would agree with you, Brent. Um, the, uh, the challenge um, that I saw, one of the many challenges that I saw in Gazette one was this. They said that uh, the flavor band would uh, greatly impact domestic business and would put international business at an advantage. You know, if we got um, in the U.S., you know, Biden is talking about protecting domestic markets uh, without starting a trade war. And when it comes to vaping, then I talked about the products coming in from China uh, with that gentleman. Um, and I hope that others share those types of videos. Uh, it seems like there's no protection for the jobs and for the domestic markets here in, in Canada. It's just an absolute uh, decimation of uh, of the industry and let me be clear a flavor ban will destroy this industry all of those small businesses the you know uh, estimated from a thousand to fourteen hundred shops and estimated seven thousand jobs uh they're gone they're absolutely gone and what i'm really proud of of the industry is that they've really started to fight back um but more have to get engaged more that watch your show have to get engaged uh, they have to reach out. They have to reach out to their uh, to their members of parliament. Um, obviously, we're here to uh, to support in every way. Uh, but if you look at those MP meetings that I did, Brent, I had a retailer on all but three, a retailer or manufacturer on all but three of those meetings. So I'm I too in support um, uh, making sure that it is local because the industry's ultimate success is when that member builds that relationship. But I remember one MP when uh, one of our retailers said, well, I have 11,000 uh, customers. Should have seen that politician's eyes pop up, right? Especially on the eve of, a, of an election. So it's about having our voice heard, start getting used to doing events and, and becoming involved in our community as well. Um, a lot of the big successful industries do this extremely well. It's called the perpetual campaign, Brent. 
it means that campaigning never stops. Uh, we have to think about it that way because um, no other industry like ours has been under attack in such a short period of time based on, on no level of, uh, of, uh, of science, um, just this uh, moral crisis uh, or moral panic, I would say. Daryl, we just had Clive Bates on internationally renowned tobacco control expert, policy expert, somebody who knows this uh, business very well. He said something astonishing when it came to the cost-benefit analysis, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that. But first, let's have a quick listen. Give us an understanding of what Health Canada has done here, because they, they've got a rationale that they put out in their cost-benefit analysis that... If anybody really could understand this, they, I would think they'd be shocked. Um, it, it's a masterpiece of sophistry, to be honest. Um, you, you look at this, you know, I used to work in government myself, and you get used to looking at these things. And you'll, you'll see, um, you know, 22 equations in their, their model, thousands of terms. Um, you'll, you'll see language that's impenetrable, tables of numbers that you can't quite follow. Um, and what you have to do is <laughs> you have to go back to the original document, which they didn't put online. You had to actually go to Health Canada and ask for it. Um, so they didn't want anyone to, you know, see the sausages being made, if you, if you like. Um, <laughs> and then what you find is at the heart of all this sophisticated, fake sophisticated analysis is a giant assumption that vaping leads to smoking. Um, and therefore, if you re if you reduce vaping, you reduce future smoking. So the whole case, one ninety three percent of the benefits, the public health benefits of making vaping less attractive and banning flavors, are in the form of reduced smoking. It's it's really quite extraordinary, uh, Brent, because at the heart of this there is a misunderstanding. Uh, which is that they have failed to understand the data that shows, yes, there's an association between vaping and smoking because people who vape and smoke, many of the same characteristics incline people to, this, to both vaping and smoking because they're similar behaviours. But that doesn't mean the vaping causes the smoking. Yet that is hardwired into the assumptions in their case. What they've done with the cost-benefit analysis is that they've counted up all the economic costs that they can, they can find. Fair enough, that's a reasonable thing to do. $560 million in present value terms, which is the way that they estimate these things. We don't need to go into that, okay? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for just banning something, okay? Then what they've done is they've said, well, how much would vaping uh, initiation need to decrease in order for the public health benefits to equal or exceed $560 million? Okay, and they've estimated that a 1.1% reduction in the initiation of vaping would cause those savings. But you're like, where's that number come from? How come, how come a reduction in vaping causes so much, so much sort of public health benefits. And you realize then that they've made this assumption that everyone who vapes has a, a six to seven times chance of going on to be a smoker, which is a complete misreading of the data. What are your thoughts on what you just heard? 
So as you know, Brent, I'm not a clinician and I'm not a researcher. and um, uh, I'm not an expert in any of these areas. That being said, I've talked to many. I agree with this analysis 100%. And it goes back to uh, why we've designed communications, outreach, and legal, because they're going to have to explain that in front of a judge. And like to me, that's where rubber, it will ultimately hit the road if we don't have a political solution to this. And I think as you see studies and, and this type of information come out over and over again, um, it, there will be a lot more pressure on Health Canada, uh, specifically about asking for way more of the, uh, how they come up with the conclusions. So I go back to the age gating and how they came up with the information for age gating. So that finally got released and um, they sent that right over to the, to the legal team. What I would suggest is this, you have to create a case uh, against vaping that will stand up in court. We have to use the science and research that we have a ton of access to, to showcase that vaping is the greatest harm reduction opportunity for uh, our, the world's, and specifically in this case, Canada's uh, largest form of preventable death. So. Uh, I think uh, Mr. Bates is a genius um, and I love, uh, I love his work, but uh, it's been validated by so many others that I've, uh, that I've talked to. Um, now it's just a matter of getting the experts and that's what's been, a lot of the work that's been done through the uh, legal process so far is collecting the experts, putting these into affidavits. Um, making sure that we have this information to push back. And I know Professor Sweener, I don't know if you had a chance to uh, review his, uh, his uh, CG1 submission, but it, uh, it really attacks so many of the flaws. So now you have to defend. And we know that well over 20,000 submissions just from consumers alone went in to say how important flavors are. So I'd be very curious on uh, how Health Canada is going to report back on that. Uh, in addition to the hundreds that came out of industry and from uh, um, uh, from professionals like uh, Professor Sweener, and I'm pretty sure Brent, you probably even did one of your own, maybe um, as it relates to uh, to your experience with flavors. Yeah, and I really want to get to this one point that uh, Clive mentioned that you and I have spoken about uh, before off camera, and that was they've attached mortality. Um, to this cost-benefit analysis. And when Clive had mentioned that the the report that they are referencing to that backs up the statements in here that vaping actually causes death, and that's the, that's the cost uh, savings that Health Canada says it's going to come from uh, this program, I mean, that's spurious. If there's, if there's anything that could be called spurious, it seems to be that. Uh, very much so. And it comes to uh, emissions and toxicology. Um, and it's a, it's really an area that we have to uh, to consider. And I'm, I'm not ready to get into it now, but I'll give you it conceptually so you understand. Uh, when you do the toxicology testing, you there's a certain way to do it where you can see how many cells die. So, but you can't do vaping on its own. What you have to do is you take vaping or vapor, and then you take cigarette smoke. And you see how many cells die when you put the cells in with the cigarette smoke versus how many you do 
I have a pretty good sense of what those numbers look like, but I need to make sure I work with the proper labs and um, to, to get that data out. And when it is out, uh, Brian, I'd be more than happy to come back and have an expert explain it, not me. Um, but uh, I'll make sure that you get full access to that. But on this is that uh, it really drives back uh, from a science point of view, the 95% less harmful. Um, I would suggest this of the experts that they have used for uh, that 20% mobility rate is go back and look at uh, who worked with Dr. or Professor Sweener on his CG1 in terms of how this data was uh, was pulled together. Um, it's, you know, um, it's starting to crumble, the argument. Um, you're seeing youth usage go down. You're seeing courts now having to be engaged and actually have to start to give dates. You're seeing all the affidavits and information come together. The reason that that's so important is that one, not only can we share it with members, and I can't highlight that enough, we have to get out to our members of parliament on this one. Uh, but the second part of it is, is that, um, uh, you got to start um, getting either counter science uh, as a government agency, as from the attorney general, and you start to have to disclose how all this came together. How did you come to these assumptions on all of it? And, you know, I am very confident that the case uh, for vaping is extremely strong. And I keep asking, why can uh, New Zealand say they'll be uh, free of combustible tobacco by 2025? The UK by 2030, Canada improved its outlook from 2035 uh, to 2030 at 5% prevalence rate and are destroying the most uh, effective product to transition people to a less harmful alternative. So from, uh, from that, how did they even come up with that number, Brent? How, how do you improve your outcome by getting rid of the product that's uh, twice as effective as any other harm reduction product as it relates to combustible tobacco. So the the, the case is there. Uh, and I think that's why you're seeing so many leaders in the industry making those investments um, uh, to make sure that that this product remains uh, for years to uh, for years to come. I think it's fair to say, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, or if your impression's slightly different, but it seems to me that this regulatory analysis that Health Canada has produced for the nicotine concentrations and pretty much essentially the same one for the flavor ban has opened a door uh, to actually get in there and pick apart uh, their approach because it, it's, it seems to be more and more hard to justify the conclusions, the assumptions and conclusions that they've made in here. I, I, I don't disagree with it at all. Um, and, and you know me, uh, Brent, I, I, I do my homework. I always have. Um, and what I try to do is, is look through every part when they come up with the, uh, with the, the, with the gazettes that I can't find or justify anything uh, of this other than uh, uh, a, a moral panic. Um, so to me, I'm not sure how they got here where the direction is, you know, it was Health Canada, uh, you know, was it the, uh, um, the health minister um, who's driving this? Um, and we need to find that out. But uh, prior to that, what we really need to do is focus on the science and the research. Um, is, is this product perfect? Uh, no. You know, 
well, youth experiment, absolutely. But I go back to the question about, you know, no one's going after uh, pornography, but do kids experiment with sex, you know, underage? I, I, it's the, the premise is, is, uh, is, is not only ridiculous, but as a, as a reformed smoker, it's insulting. Um, so uh, we'll keep fighting. And I think that's what uh, uh, many, and I'm, you know, whether it's the, uh, 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 the organizations such as Heart and Stroke and Lung or, or Health Canada, if anyone thought that we were going to give up uh, and just go away, I think they misunderstood how hard we fought to quit smoking in the first place. Now, you just mentioned uh, Heart, Stroke, Lung. There's also uh, Physicians for Smoke-Free Canada that's really active, in fact, extremely active uh, in Canada on this file. I, I'm choosing my words very carefully. Um, if there's anything that you could say about some of these opposition groups, what would that be? Your mandate is to get people off of smoking, not attack vaping. Does it seem fair that their funding is coming, I think, in some cases from the actual federal government itself? Absolutely not. Um, I think that uh, if uh, we don't get our funding from uh, uh, from government, we get our, our funding from industry. Um, but it goes back to uh, we've had as much impact over the last 10 years of getting people away from combustible tobacco and reducing their harm uh, than anyone else. Um, and even how they define youth up to 25 years old. Last time I checked, if you're 20 years old or 21 years old, I was running a company at 21, but you're going to define me as youth. I was married at 21 and you're going to find me as youth. So I can go to, you know, the old adage that the old boys used to use, right? Brent? You can go to war at 18, but you couldn't drink till you're 21. So um, I, I, this, um, prohibition has never worked. It has never worked. And the last piece of hypocrisy that I'd like to, to, to ask all these guys around is that, you know, we're a harm reduction nation. So, you know, fentanyl, safe injection sites. They're even talking about decriminalizing cocaine to help out the justice system. But we're going to criminalize flavors. And that brings you to the real kicker, the black market. One, drug dealers don't ask for ID. Two, you're putting another product in their bag. And three, black market isn't just criminals. So here's what you can do, Brent. I can buy a flavorless uh, uh, um, uh, vape product. I can go to Bulk Barn and I can get food grade flavor. So now I have a flavor product. Good luck legislating that out. But yet, I don't know the difference between, even me, the difference between a water-soluble flavor and an oil-based flavor. So I buy an oil-based flavor. I put it in my flavorless vape. I got my grape. I put it in my vapor. Thanks to these regulations, we just created the next Stavali, except now we have the government to thank for it instead of the black market. And these products are available widely. Walmart, um, I already mentioned Bulk Barn, like you can pick all kinds of places, Loblaw, right? Like this is where these products are available. And if I don't know the difference between a water soluble and an oil-based flavoring, 
How about the other thousands of people who said, oh, I got a solution. It's dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. And so if there's people making these products uh, for, for black market, uh, either they don't know or they just won't care because it's cheaper. They're selling it out of a back of a van in, in Waterloo and they live in Toronto. Here you go, kids. I mean, the unintended consequences. And I'd like to do a series on that once just to break it all through. The unintended consequences of policy design that have not even been considered in their own risk assessment. Where did they put in uh, the mentality rates of what happens if people use oil-based flavoring as a result of prohibition? Daryl, we have a new section that we're doing here in some of our shows, and it's a little bit of a book quote. And here's the quote I'd like to read for you today to get your response to. And it is from Pierre-Joseph Proudhon, who was a French socialist in 1850. He's actually quite well known as a leader uh, in anarchism, and he's a Marxist. So it's so I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading something that would normally be considered from the other side of my political ideology. And here's the quote. To be governed. To be governed is to be at every operation, at every transaction, noted, registered, counted, taxed, stamped, measured, numbered, assessed, licensed, authorized, admonished, prevented, reformed, corrected, punished. That is to be governed. Thoughts? Normally you ask me on to talk about the political view. So I'll do that in this context. You expect your member of parliament or your provincial representative to have more information than you do. You can't, a politician can't do what every single individual would like to do. It's impossible. What you can expect is that they have process, that they have access to all the information and that they're making decisions on certain levels of expertise and voting with certain levels of expertise based on information that you could not digest throughout the nation on every single aspect of a massive government. So to that quote, I say impossible, responsibility, accountability, and transparency. So let's move off of federal here, Daryl, and talk a bit about the provinces because there was big news in Nova Scotia, and in New Brunswick, there's obviously been the turmoil there. Fill us in on what we, what you can on the provinces. Yeah, so um, I will be extremely measured with uh, with what I say. Um, I would say in New Brunswick, uh, we're definitely um, have made it clear that it's business as usual uh, until uh, a judge uh, makes it clear that it's not um, in Nova Scotia. Yeah. I think there's a great opportunity, uh, specifically through the judicial, uh, to work with this new government. I, I, uh, I'm extremely uh, optimistic, um, based on uh, on, uh, on on early uh, indications. So, um, being able to be competitive um, and getting these markets back uh, would also be extremely important to the federal case. 
Um, so if you look at a lot of the affidavits, uh, Brent, that we were putting together, um, there, there were initially designed for New Brunswick, but we're going to be able to use them in Nova Scotia. We're going to be able to use them at the federal government. And as we build even new uh, affidavits and, and opportunities for experts, uh, such as Clive Bates, to, uh, to participate. Uh, and so um, this, it's a lot um, but it's actually the, the first time in a long time where I feel uh, us pushing back uh, to the level we are, uh, specifically with legal, uh, is really starting to work. So we felt like it was just being taken away, taken away, you know, with flavors and, uh, uh, you know, labeling restrictions. And even in your home province about uh, a lot of the legislative changes that have happened there. Um, and... Uh, I, I can say with uh, with a great smile on my face, this is as bullish as I've ever been on the industry. And uh, uh, it's no more gloom and doom. It's uh, instead of feeling like we're pushing the rock uh, up the hill and having it roll over us, is that we're building tools to get the rock up the hill. How much of a help has it been with the international uh, help, with like the 15 past presidents, in uh, that paper that was put out, which was, you know, made a lot of news with inside the industry, ha has the support started to grow even from without? Immensely, immensely. And to understand how the judicial works in Canada is that uh, they don't measure um, uh, whether it came from Canada or whether it came from outside of Canada. It just uh, matters that it comes from a reasonable democracy. So for example, they'll weigh it from the US, they'll weigh it from the UK, but they wouldn't weigh it from China or they wouldn't uh, weigh it from Afghanistan. Just I just picked those countries at random and yeah. Uh, but that's the way the judicial works, which means that we get to use a plethora of, uh, of experts uh, specifically on the affidavits. I think the key is, is, is the affidavits um, and cataloging um, and, and using the lawyers we're very blessed to uh, to have. He's a doctor now. He just got his honorary doctorate from from U of T, I believe, uh, Doctor Elliot, um, uh, on our side because you got to remember uh, he also has the largest class action lawsuit in Canadian history, one point five billion dollars on tainted blood. So um, the strategy is there, and um, but uh, legal helps government relations, and government relations help legal. It's how you get your messaging in, both to the uh, the legislative branch and the judicial branch. So I think from that perspective, that's what I'm saying. We're, we're building tools together. Uh, so it doesn't feel like we're just running from fire to fire to fire is that we, uh, we have the tools and now we're a, a fire crew for lack of a, of a, of a better term. Um, and it's been a, it's been a lot of work and, and this work started, it's not that we just started prepping for this when the CG one came down. Uh, this has been a long year, uh, certainly, and uh, it's uh, there's so many people to to uh, to recognize and thank that you're better off not to than than you are to because you you know you'll miss out on a ton and we'll make a two hour show. Uh, but what I'd say to the to the viewers is this: is that uh, it goes back to that passion. Right, that passion that people uh, in this industry have. So the key takeaway then, um, as we wrap up, is the fact that you are still hopeful. I'm beyond hopeful, I'm bullish. I know it's gonna be tough, 
I, I know it's going to be a big fight, um, but I just, because I get to see how many of the pieces come together from, you know, it's not just from a legal perspective or from a research perspective or from a GR perspective or from a community perspective. Uh, the I think the greatest honor, and this will be the biggest thing I've ever, I'll ever do in my career, Brent, um, because of the amount of lives that it impacts. It's a, it's a great honor. But being able to see it from all of those sections uh, has brought me from 2018, where I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen to, you know what, we should have, we should have fought back harder. Um, but, you know, there's no way to forecast all of the things that have happened, and especially through a valley um, that was just weathering the storm. Uh, and I thought we did a good job of coming out of that. Uh, a lot of people, their businesses took a lot of uh, a lot of hits. So I'm proud of how they uh, how they came through. Uh, but now is the time, and I'm uh, uh, so I would say um, um, rather than optimistic, is I'm bullish because I see the fight. I see the fight in everyone, and uh, for that. Uh, uh, I'm very thankful to be part of it. So I feel, I feel, I feel, honestly, I feel very good.